That's a word that we all need to hear. That God is truly with us. I invite you at this time to stand for the reading of the gospel. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then you cut it down. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. I'm going to preach the sermon, and then after the sermon, we're going to sing, You Are the Vine. So there's an order flip. What's the appropriate response to tragedy? How are we as God's people supposed to respond to the earthquake in Chile or the earthquake in Haiti? Or how are we to respond to the events of 9-11? How do we as God's people respond to tragedy? How do we respond when bad things happen? That's the question that's on the mind of the people from Galilee. They've come to Jesus, and they want to know what Jesus... Jesus, why, why did this happen? How are we to respond? What's wrong? With, all, with Pilate, who killed those Galileans and shed their blood on sacrifices. Jesus, that was terrible. Jesus, that's an outrage. Outrage. Jesus, what do you say about it? Tell us. What do you say about the events of Galilee? What do you say about Chile? What do you say about Haiti? What do you say about 9-11? Are these people worse sinners? Is that why the events happened to them? Jesus' answer is No. Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? No. And then Jesus goes on to talk about a tower falling on 18 people in Jerusalem. 
I mean, if you ever think there's a sign that God doesn't like you or that God's angry at you, it's that a tower falls on you, right? I mean, I mean, it's kind of morbidly funny. You have to admit it. I mean, you're sitting there. I mean, if you're not related to the people and you're going, you know, those people sure had it coming to them. Because when was the last time a tower falls over and just lands on 18 people? Right? I mean, if you think that there's someone who really deserves to get it, it's that person. I remember hearing about a, a plane traveling from Japan back to America, and turbulence hit. This is morbidly funny. I'm sorry about that. But <laughs> turbulence hit, and the gentleman flew out of his plane seat, went up, hit his head on the top, fell down, and then a cart proceeded to launch in the air and land on him, killing him. No one else was affected on that plane except that one man. Now, when you think about that, I remember thinking to myself, he must have had that coming. Right? No one else gets it, but this one person flies out of the seat and then a cart lands on him. He must have done something wrong. We think that way. The people in Jesus' day were thinking that way. If a tower falls on you, you must have done something wrong. Why? Because, because there's got to be a link between our suffering and our sin. There's got to be a link where if I don't do something right, then, then of course God's going to be punishing me. That's what they're after. That's what they're thinking about. And we all think that way, don't we? I remember when I was on internship, vicarage, a friend of mine from high school came up to see me. And he said, Russ, you've been going to seminary a lot. You've been doing this work. Why don't you go and have a drink with me? I said, okay. I, I didn't really grow up in a home that we drank a lot, and I didn't think much of drinking. But I had a drink with him. And he said, Russ, have another. Okay. Then why don't you try this one? Okay. And so this intern got blitzed. <laughs> Worse than that, because I, again, I didn't grow up with this, it wasn't an experience I had often, I made a complete fool of myself at the place where we got blitzed. I was so glad I wasn't in Fallbrook. Because <laughs> everyone would have known, oh, that's Russ. <laughs> made a complete jackass of myself complete. The next morning I woke up, didn't feel so good, and I started remembering all the events of the night before. And I thought, I can't believe this. I'm training to be a pastor, and I do that. That's terrible. And I thought, I prayed. I spent a lot of time in prayer. Felt terrible. Well, I get a phone call that very day, and a friend of mine from Minnesota said, Russ, I can't go on a trip to Greece and Turkey. It's already paid for. Why don't you go? I said, great. But then I drove to the church where I was interning at, and I thought, wait, this isn't how it's supposed to work. I got hammered the night before, and the very next day, what do I get? A trip to Greece and Turkey. 
And I, I was so nervous driving to church because I was thinking, wait, there's got to be some scale out there, and I'm going to get it. Looking around. Right? We think this way. We think that if you live right, you get blessed. If you live wrong, you don't. But here's a case where I lived wrong, and I got blessed. I didn't know what to make sense of it. Except it so terrified me that I decided to make myself extra holy. <laughs> and it's easy to do when you're a pastor or trained to be a pastor. So I read the Bible more. I prayed more. I went to church. I volunteered more than I needed to as an intern. I did this for six weeks. I had to have paid off that event. <laughs> so I'm riding my bicycle home after singing the choir, which before that I gave food out for the homeless because they had a homeless thing. So of all days, I'm a saint on that day. Riding my bicycle back, and I, I jump off the curb, and the wheel falls off. <laughs> and I land, and I go flying. And so I'm walking back to the church, holding my bike, going, wait, this isn't right. I've been good, and why'd my wheel fall off? Maybe it was from that night six weeks ago. No. We think this way. The people are asking Jesus, this is what's happened. They must have sinned. That's why they got what they did. They must have sinned. That's why the tower fell on them. They must have sinned. That's why the man in the plane lost his life. But that's not what Jesus says. He tells us to repent of such thinking change our mind of such thinking. There is no correlation whatsoever. Sin and suffering do not go together like crime and punishment. If we get what we deserve, then none of us would escape childhood. And you know it's true. And if you have children like my own, they definitely don't deserve to escape childhood. And so Jesus is calling us to repent of such thinking. Jesus wants us to see God differently. And in order to do that, he gives us a parable to help us see God for who he is, as well as to help us see who we are. And the parable is about a fig tree. And guess what? You're the fig tree, and so am I. And we find out that there's a fig tree, that there's this wonderful owner of a, of a vineyard, who wants to have a fig tree. Now, when you think about that, you go, wait, a vineyard owner produces grapes. He makes his living on grapes. Why in the world is he planting a fig tree? And the answer is probably for the love of it, for the joy of it. He makes his money on the grapes. The fig, that's for himself. That's for his love. That's for cooking. That's for all the fun that he wants to have with figs. But there's a problem with that fig tree. And you know the problem. What's the problem of this fig tree? There's not a single fruit it produces. It's a worthless fig tree. That fig tree can try all at once. It can't produce a single fig. 
And so what is that fig tree, what is the owner of the vineyard supposed to do? Cut it down? Except that he likes the fig tree. He loves the fig tree. He wants the fig tree to produce. And so he comes up with a different solution. He can't bear the idea of destroying the fig tree. Instead, he goes, you know what? I'm going to let my vine dresser take a look at this. And anyone who's been around grapes, you know what vine dressers do. Vine dressers see every vine as so valuable that when it doesn't produce, they take care of the vine. If it's low and in the mud, the vine dresser comes and washes it. He ties it up. He lets the sun shine on it so that it will produce grapes. The owner goes, that's the solution. Let's let the vine dresser take a whack at this. Let's let him, he might have some tricks up his sleeves. He might have some solution. He might have, he has that green thumb. Surely if he works with that vine, it's going to produce fruit. And that's what we see. For the vine dresser says, I can make this thing produce fruit. In fact, the vine dresser says this. It's so, it's so wonderful. Verse 8, he says, Sir, leave it alone. Which is aphes in Greek, which is, Sir, owner, forgive it. Literally. Forgive that tree. One more year. And I'll dig around it, and I'll fertilize it. Right? So in other words, that worthless vine that you like, worthless tree that you like, let me take care of it. Forgive it. Give it time. And he digs around it. And he produces it. Makes it produce fruit. But then listen to the last thing the vine dresser says. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then, and it should be you cut it down. In other words, the vine dresser is saying, look, I don't want to cut this thing down. I'm going to make it produce fruit. And if it doesn't produce fruit, I'm not cutting it down because that's not what I do. I make it produce. If you don't like it, then you cut it down. Why? Because the vine dresser wants it to produce fruit. The vine dresser is going to make it produce fruit. So now what does this all mean to us? Here goes. I promise I have a point somewhere around here. We are a people who are convinced that we get what we deserve or we don't get what we deserve, that if we live bad, we get bad. If we live good, we get good. Jesus saying, no, repent of that thinking. That's not how it works. You get good even when you're bad. It rains on the righteous and unrighteous. You don't get what you deserve, and in the same way, the fig tree doesn't get what it deserves. The fig tree deserves to be cut down. But that fig tree is too valuable. The owner has too much love for the fig tree, and so he'll do whatever it takes to make it produce fruit. And here's the good news. You're the fig tree. I'm the fig tree. You deserve a tower to fall on you. But guess what? You don't get that. God won't do that to you. God instead sends his vine dresser, sends Christ. I'm the vine, you're the branches, he says. He sends Christ to come down. And what does Christ do for us? He washes us in the waters of baptism. He lets the sun shine upon us so that we will produce fruit. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you abide in me, surely you will produce fruit. And even more, this wonderful vine dresser named Jesus 
We'll play in the dirt. We'll dig into the dirt. We'll put himself into the ground. Being rejected, being cast outside the city, dying in that ground, becoming fertilizer, so that he will produce in you the fruit of faith. So that God won't cut you down, but so that you will produce and God will delight in you. That's what Jesus wants us to hear today. That all of us surely deserve eternal rejection. We deserve to be cut down. You do, I do. But that's not what you get. Instead, you get a God who puts all of what you deserve on Christ so that what he deserves, which is eternal life, you get. That's the good news. Our Father in heaven loves the fig tree. He loves you. And Christ, the vine dresser, will produce fruit in you, the fruit of faith. And he'll, if not, he'll die trying. Of course, he'll dry to die to produce it. And so that's the word for you today. Please take that to heart. Ask the Lord to help you impress it upon your mind. You don't get what you deserve. You get what Christ deserves, eternal life, God's forgiveness, a wonderful future with him. Let us pray. Holy and gracious Father, we thank you that we are that fig tree. Lord, we do not produce fruit left to ourselves, but you don't leave us to yourself. In your love, you sent Christ to take care of us, and in his love, he died for us. And that dying into the ground, he allows us to live and to produce fruit, fruit that will last. Oh Lord, we thank you that Christ is the vine dresser. We thank you that he cares for us. Oh, help us to trust these words. Help us to believe them. For they're simple enough to understand, but impossible to believe without your Holy Spirit. And so help us to believe these words, these wonderful, gracious words. In Jesus' name, amen.